Praise the Lord. I would like to uh, well welcome everyone. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful to see you. I have seen uh, a few faces here today I have not seen for a while. And we have our Zoomers, so welcome everyone. God bless you. But I would like to go to the Word of God this morning and, uh, and see what the Lord has prepared there for us. Um, I was mentioning um, this particular book. I was encouraging you to, to have a look at uh, with the topic of faith, hope, and love. And we, two weeks ago, we spoke about faith. Last week, we spoke about hope. And today, I would like to talk about love. Love being God's greatest gift. All right? And as I said, this, this series of sermons, these last three sermons have been uh, inspired, if you like, in, in Dr. John Sims' book, Faith, Hope, and Love, the ground and pillars of the Christian faith or the Christian religion. So let's just have a word of prayer and see what the Lord has in, in store for us today. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your goodness this morning. We thank you that as we were singing today, Lord, your goodness is always there. You're, you're, you never failed us. You have been faithful. And this morning, Lord, we just want to thank you for who you are, for who we are in you. And as we come to, to hear your word, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us, that your Holy Spirit will be moving among us that the spirit of revelation will be here with us this morning. And even, Lord, if we hear things that we have heard before, that maybe they are not a great surprise to us, to our intellect and our understanding and our knowledge, Lord, we pray that the spirit of revelation will help us to see things in a different uh, level, in a new dimension, if you like. So, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And we got Oz and Chema at the back helping us. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> now, when we talk about faith, hope, and love, you probably remember that famous chapter in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when the Apostle Paul tells the church that the greatest gift God has bestowed upon the church is love. Love is the, he calls, the more excellent way that God wills to govern all spiritual manifestations. The love that the Holy Spirit pours out in believers' hearts is greater than all other gifts because it is the essence of God's character and the perfection of human character. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, faith, hope, and love, as, as the three coming together, appear together in several New Testament passages. And I will just quote a few. For example, Romans chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and, and verse 3. Also chapter 5, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 to 24. So we have that theme of faith, hope, and love. But the reference here in 1 Corinthians is the, more, the most familiar for us, isn't it? The one that probably we know, we know the most. But here Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing about love in the context of the spiritual gifts. This is very interesting because 1 Corinthians, you get in chapter 12, we, we hear about the spiritual gifts. Uh, we hear about the, the, um, the pneumatic horn, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. Then we have, in chapter 14, we have the, the spiritual gifts in the church and how they have to be administered and, uh, or how they have to be performed in order 
And the Apostle Paul is saying, I wish, you know, all of you will speak in tongues like I do, but I rather prefer that we will um, prophesy. Uh, and prophecy is a very special gift because in the three lists of gifts that we have in the, in the New Testament, prophecy appears in all of them. Whether it's Romans 12, the gift, the, the charismata gift, the gift of the Father to the individuals for the edification and serving one another, prophecy is there. When we go to um, 1 Corinthians 12, and we have the pneumaticon, the, the spiritual staff, the spiritual things, the spiritual gifts, um, you know, prophecy is there. And if we go to Ephesians chapter 4, the gift of ministry, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, prophecy is there, you see? Because pro prophetic is when we speak out the word of God, right? So here in in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, which is in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, of course, and both of them are dealing with uh, the spiritual gifts, the Apostle Paul writes this amazing chapter under the anointing and the guidance of the Holy Spirit about love. That love is everything. If I have all these gifts, if I have all these, you know, if I know all the tongues of men and angels, but I have no love, I'm nothing. If I have the power to move this mountain into the sea, but I have no love, I'm nothing. And he says that if we don't have love, anything we have, anything we do, anything we say is like a symbol. You know, like when you, you hear, you know, these drummers, a lot of noise and it, it goes away. Unfortunately, a lot of preachers sound like that. A lot of noise! What do you say? A lot of noise, a lot of drama, a lot of theater, a big circus. But what are we really? What are we really doing? What are we really saying? Here the apostle Paul writes in the context of, of the spiritual gifts and emphasizes that love is the more excellent way. That apart from love, other spiritual gifts and manifestations amount to nothing. Love must be the governing principle in all spiritual matters. That's also 1 Corinthians 13, the first three, three verses there. You see? Love defines the character of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And of course, here the love that the Bible is using is agape, is the unconditional love of God. Amen? Also, John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. This is a definition of love. Look, look at this. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an anointing sacrifice for our sins. If someone ever asks you, what is love? That's a definition of love just right there. Not that I love God, not that I have the ability or the cap capability of loving. Love is that is what God does towards us. You see, and I, this is a very important reminder because... 
when we forget the definition of love is when we get in trouble. What I mean by that is that, you know, we know that we love the Lord, don't we? We love the Lord. That's why we are here. That's why we worship. That's why, you know, we, we, we decided to live this life for the Lord. We know, we know that we love God, but we are in trouble when we forget for a few seconds or minutes, sometimes hours or days, how much God loves us. And we are in that conflict. I love God. Why is this thing happening to me? Why is this thing happening to the church? Why? We don't like changes. We like changes. We don't like transitions. Why? Lord, I love you. Why is this happening to me? We are forgetting how much God loves us. And sometimes... It's important for us in our, in our lives in general. Sometimes we have to, and I'm pretty sure that you have gone through this many times, we have to let something go in order to receive something greater. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is love. Not that we love God. This is wonderful. But that He loved us and sent His Son as an anointing sacrifice for our sins. So today what I would like to do is I will... I want to talk to you about five points very quickly. And it, it will be basically just scripture. Five points about, about God's love. Are you with me? You see, so many times we speak about the things that God can do for us. Or we have all these exhortation, exhortations and admonitions in the Bible. And over and over again, we preach things about, you know, how we can become better Christians. How can we become uh, more understanding of God's purposes for our lives. Uh, how a particular story in the Bible is there for us to understand and to grasp a particular spiritual biblical concept. And all of that is fantastic. But I think maybe one out of ten sermons that the church preaches today, it's on the character of God. And if I'm honest to you, that's actually what enlightens us the most. Because we can really understand... Uh, with our limited comprehension, of course, who God is. And when we understand how God is, it's like looking ourselves into a mirror. We check ourselves and say, okay, my, my, my standards are not God's standards. And he's the reference. So I want to talk to you about, about what, what the Apostle John is trying to say here. He says, love is not that we love God. This is love. Not that we love him, but that he has loved us. So basically what he's saying is, if we want to understand God, if we, want, if we want to understand his love, we need to start with him. It's, it's not about us. It's not whatever we think that love is, you know, it's about him. So the first thing that, that um, it blows me away when we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, the first point today is that God's love is a covenant love. We don't talk about this much. It's a covenant love. You see, nowadays, we speak a lot about relationship. We want to have a relationship with God, don't we? And we sometimes, um, you know, say, oh, you know, I I'm not religious. I just want to have a relationship with God. Haven't we said that many times? What do we mean by that? That religious is something... Um, Old, negative, um, uh, obsolete, uh, rigid, um, hypocritical sometimes. 
legalistic at times. That, that's, the, that's the concept that we have in our own generation of what religion is. Maybe others ahead of us have a different concept, but that's, that's the concept, especially in churches like ours. You know, we see religion like a negative word, isn't it? So we talk about relationship. We talk about relationship. We love that. That goes with the flow of the world. People nowadays, you know, I start a new relationship. I move together with that person and I have a relationship. Without a covenant. Without marriage. But God's love is a covenant love. It's not just a relationship that I can jump, you know, in and out whenever it suits me. It's a covenant. And this is extremely important for understand. Uh, it's, very, it's extremely important for us to understand. Because according to James, James chapter 1, verses 16 and, and 17, true religion, he's talking about true religion. And this is James. This is the apostle James, right? Martin Luther didn't like this, this book. He says, that book should not be in the Bible. Because he's talking about having a kind of faith that produces fruits. And he says, show me your faith without fruits, and I will show you my faith through my fruits. He's not talking about your deeds or you doing things in the flesh. He's talking that when we are walking in Christ, we are saved by grace to do good works. And those good works are fruits, you see? A believer should produce fruits. The Lord encourages us to be productive. 30, 60, 100%. We were talking about that last week. But James says a true religion, and he's talking about what true religion is. Now, that word that we have, religion, comes from Latin, and it's religare. And religare means to bind, to bind, or to tie. It's a covenant. Religion has acquired this negative concept in our days because it's a covenant. And we don't like covenants. If we do a contract, we have a, a, a disclosure or whatever you call it, you know, just to get out of the contract whenever it suits us. If we step into a marriage, you know, we have conditions so we can get out if things go wrong. And that's how we, human beings, you know, Moses says, you know, you will, you know he, he says, you're allowed to divorce because the heart is of your heart. Because of, you know, we live in a broken world. He says, but, but it's not like that with God. God has a covenant. And his covenants are eternal. So the Apostle James is encouraging here. So re true religion is based on two principles. Genuine love, genuine love for those in need and a love for God that expresses itself in separation from the sinful ways of the world. So for the Apostle James, this is what Martin Luther didn't understand. For the Apostle James, he's saying... You want to religion. You want to be religious. Feed the hungry. Go and preach hope to the ones in prison. Take care of the widows. Why? Because religion was found like something that, you know, I don't fully understand and I want to reach something mystical and up there so I can feel good about myself. Which is, in a way, the opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God... So love the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So whoever believes in him shall not perish but receive everlasting life. Starts with God, comes down and touch us, and then he takes us back to God. You see, the, the, the religious, um, religious systems of the world is the opposite. Starts with man, 
using philosophy and some kind of abstract things or experiences, and we do our own theory of it, and then we feel good about it because we have made something up that we can, in our own strength, try to achieve. We can cut a tree, and we can carve a beautiful image, and we can worship that. That's what the Lord says. Don't you see how ridiculous that is? You're cutting that tree, you're making that idol, and with the leftovers, you use it for your barbecue. I mean, isn't it stupid? Don't you see that that God shaping your image and likeness cannot do anything? And God is saying, I'm the creator. I'm the savior. Look at me, he says. The apostle James is saying, oh, is, is, is religion what you want? He's talking probably to the Jewish and to the different religions in the world that day. Is religion what you want? Oh, you want to feel good about yourself? Then why don't you, why don't you do those things? Why don't you help one another? But the concept of religion, that concept of true religion that we try to avoid, we like more the relationship thing. But true, healthy religion means that, means something to, to bind, to tie, which means that we have to have genuine love for those in need and a genuine love for God that expresses itself in separation from sinful ways of the world. In other words, holiness, true religion, true religion, takes care, take care of people around you and it sep you separate yourself in the power of God from sinful ways, not from the world. The Bible says, you are in the world, but be not of this world. Love the world. We don't hear that. Love the world. Some people run away from the Lord. And I've seen even churches, you know, growing and becoming so strong that we have our own gyms and our own schools and our own universities and our own clubs. So you don't have to step out in the world. You can just stay here in this holy huddle. But then when you get out, you have no power against temptation and against your own flesh, which you bring with you anyway to that holy huddle. The Lord says, you are in the world, and you're in the world for a reason. You're in the world to shine. You're in the world to, to be righteous. You're in the world to, to, to present, you know, like a higher way to look. Hallelujah. But be not of this world. So true religion, take care of people. It's about taking care of people. But it's also about keeping yourself from sinful ways. It's about separation. It's about holiness. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not, be, you do not belong to yourself. Oh, we don't like that. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. That's not only not, you know, not having, you know, not taking drugs and, and uh, you know, not smoking, you know, um, not drinking too much. That's also don't have too much Burger King or McDonald's, you know. That means, you know, take care of your body. 
Take care of your body. Take care of yourself. Take care of, you know, we, sometimes we make a big emphasis about our, our faith. But we don't take care of our bodies, which the Bible says is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So God has this covenant relationship. The Bible says that, you know, when, when, you, when you get married, I belong to my wife and my wife belongs to me. My body belongs to her and her body belongs to me. It's a constant mutual giving. Giving out and what we receive is what the other one is giving out too. It's a be beautiful thing. A covenant love. It's all about that. It's about giving out, giving to each other. Hallelujah. A covenant love. Obviously, there's a relationship in there, but it's actually way higher than just a relationship. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. The second thing I would like to talk to you is about God's love. It's not only that God deals with us in a covenant love. In other words, he's engaging. He's not just do, doing things for him, but he's doing his part also. You see that? God giving himself for us so we can give ourselves to him. Covenant, you see? The second thing is God's love for creation. We are forgetting this. And many people are ignoring this aspect because we see also our world using creation or nature for their own agenda. Isn't it? Climate change and all these things that we, as Christians, should be careful about our world and about creation more than anyone else because it's created by our God. We are ignoring this because, oh, you know, the politicians are using this, you know, for us to buy electric cars or whatever it may be, or buy new boilers or, you know, oh, you know, this conspiracy theory. But we have to remember that the whole earth was created by God. And after every day, he says, and he saw it was good. And he saw it was good. And he saw it was good. And at the end, he says, and he saw it was very good. Hallelujah. Beautiful beautiful earth. Yes, we are struggling. Sin is all over the place. And even the earth is groaning. The, all, the earth is struggling for that manifestation of the people of God. But in His goodness and grace, God continually manifests His benevolence towards all creation. Let's just read a few passages just for the fun of it, shall we? Look, Psalm 145, verses 9 and then 16 and 17. It says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all all he has made. The Lord had hoped all who fall and lift up all who are bowed down. The eyes of the Lord, sorry, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Acts chapter 14 verse 17 says, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart, your hearts with joy. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45 says, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Hallelujah. God cares God loves what he has made. And even when we are naughty, and even when we don't do what he likes, the sun comes every day, even in Scotland, believe it or not. 
So even more importantly, God's love and mercy for the creator order that he has established is expressed through his saving grace for all who are lost. You see, many people don't understand this. The seal of creation, it was human beings. God created everything that he created to put men in it. Men, of course, in our sin and anger and hatred and, and greed, we have used it and spoiled it. But the Lord put us here to take care of it. He put Adam and Eve in the garden so they could take care of the garden. God creates something beautiful for us to have a little bit of value and responsibility. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The creator or the creator God manifests his love in Jesus Christ, even for those who are not yet, not yet his children. John 3.16. We know it by heart, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The love of God is in creation. The love of God is towards us. And the love of God is towards us even if we don't love him. And that's what love is. Not that we love him, but that he loved us. And he has this willingness, this eagerness to save. Hallelujah. And it was Louis Giglio, he said one time, every glimpse of God is a glimpse of, 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 of grace. God wants to be seen. And that's why we can experience him. God could create all this like an ant farm. You know, these people that have aquariums and ant farms and things like that. And they love to see how nature develops. You see, God could actually do that. You know, oh, I'm going to do an ant farm with human beings. And I will be seated on my throne with my white robe and my white beard. And I will just watch how they just kill each other. That's, 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 that seems a fun thing to do. Really? God wants to be involved. God spoke and galaxies were made. Things that took us all the way until now so we can take a picture of it. Galaxy, blah, blah, blah. So many numbers and things that I don't understand. That is, I don't know how many million years away from us and now we have the power to take a picture of it we are such an amazing people aren't we and we call it NR624F really maybe call maybe maybe God has been calling it Larry for all that we know for thousands of years and we think oh we are so smart we we are able to make this camera that we can take pictures of that now. And it took us, you know, years for the information to come to the earth and blah, blah, blah. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Before he created the sun. Was that the mighty explosion that many people talk about? That sounds like a British clock. And God said, let there be stars. 
And God says, let there be. And it was made. And God saw it was good. And then on a particular day, God comes down. I don't know exactly where he did it. We know that he planted a garden that was surrounded by four rivers. And we know where that is, roughly. But he came. I don't know if he went to the shore of one of those rivers or seas or lakes and took clay The God that spoke and galaxies were formed hundreds, thousands of million years, light years away. He came down. Got dirty. And he starts sculpting. Sculpt? Sculpting. Thank you, John. This um, Michelangelo thing. This statue. And then God looked at it. And he. <sighs> breath upon him. Ruach Kodesh. The holy breath of God. And the union between his spirit. And the physical material world. The Bible says, and man became, a man became a living soul. With three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. And God took that, took man, and put him into the garden. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not 100% sure where he where he made him. Must be Britain, isn't it? Probably here. It was probably Scotland. Aye. And then he put him in the garden. And then he created all these beautiful animals and everything around him. And God knew in God's timing. I don't know, I don't know this funny thing about God's timing. He creates man, and he creates everything, male and female. But he just keeps man alone for a while. And he even tell him, before Eve was created, Adam, don't eat from that tree. It was actually a few verses before. Don't eat from that tree. Because the, time, the moment that you eat from that tree, you will die, really. And then God says, you know, Adam puts the name of all the animals and does all these things. But God knew, God knew that he was not fully completed and happy. He knew it because he put all the ingredients inside of him. And he was just waiting for the time. So, you know, then the Lord takes from the middle, not from the head, not from the feet, from the middle. And he creates this beautiful thing that man, you know, got crazy about. And then they were perfect. 
and then he was complete. And then they have purpose. Hallelujah. A covenant. For God so loved the world. And then he uses that. He uses the, the loving relationship between a husband and a wife. And he says, and this was good, and this was good, and this was good, and that is very, very good. I like it so much. Just gave me an idea. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that for the dream of my life, which is the church. And I will be a husband to the church, and the church will be a wife to me. And he started with his friend Abraham and later on the nation of Israel. And that's the third point. God's love for Israel is a triumphant story. A triumphant love story. When you read the prophet Hosea and how he has to marry this unfaithful woman and he has to beg for her to come back and how she's restored. God uses that, that life, that story, that relationship, that covenant as an example of his love for his people, his nation. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 31 31 to 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, said the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And of course, he's talking about the future days. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. For the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is the kind of husband that Christ is to the church. He still loves Israel. He still loves us. And he will triumph because love triumphs. We can see the example in the life of the prophet Love will triumph. Hallelujah. Number four. As I said, Christ's love for his church. Christ's love for his church. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27 says, Husbands, hmm, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Hallelujah. God loves Israel. God loves the church. And number five, we're almost there. I know some of you are like, oh, come on, Pastor, I'm hungry. Number five. 
he reminds us, love not the world, but set your affections on the things above. Just for the fun of it, let's just read a few passages, shall we? Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and, four, uh, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the, forgive, the forgiveness of sins. So we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Hallelujah. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Thank you, Lord. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 16 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, loves the Father. Sorry, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and this is the context, the last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So although God loves the world that he sent his only begotten son, he's not naive. He understands. He understands what living in the world means. God sees the world and he sees the potential and he sees the original plan. He sees the blueprint and he breaks his heart and he sent his son to rescue that broken world. But at the same time, he's telling us, you are in the world, but not, don't be out of the world. Look up. Look up to the kingdom of the son he loves. Hallelujah. The last of, of flesh, the last of eyes, and the pride of life. Hallelujah. Avoid those things. And finally, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. 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 So when we think about the love of God, and when we think about, you know, God being my friend or my mate, which he is a friend to us, but he's also way more than that. He's holy, holy, holy. The first thing he says to us, I have a covenant relationship with you. And I'm sorry you cannot get out of this. I will love you until the end. I will respect your decisions, but I will love you to the end. I will do everything in my power for you to understand that. Because I love you. God doesn't have love or the capacity to love. God is love. It's not about just the relationship. It's about a covenant with God. God has a covenant with us. Number two, don't forget that God loves His creation. And we have not been given the right 
to destroy it or to spoil it. We have been given the order to take care of it. We have been given the order to nurture it and to benefit from it. God loves creation. Number three, God loves Israel. And although we may see in the Old Testament, it seems like it's a, it's a, it's a bad ending. The end is not, already, is not already here. God still have a purpose for Israel. And he will triumph in that love story. When he put Israel to the side, and through Israel, he opened the door to all of us, the Gentiles. He shared he share his love for the world through the church. And the church is not only Gentiles, it's Jews also. God is still saving all kinds of races, all kinds of nations, all kinds of tribes. But then finally the Lord says, do not love the world. Set affections on the things above. Put your heart on the things which are really important and really eternal. How many times, guys, we worry so much about the things that he had promised that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will, he will add, add that, those things that we need on top of everything. It's very sad to see Christians 95% of the time worrying about things that the Lord has promised that he will give us. You know, I'm not talking about not working hard or, not be, uh, or, or, or taking foolish um, decisions in life. I'm talking about putting our hearts in tune with the loving God, with, with love. God is love. With our right picture of who he is. Hallelujah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be added to us. In other words, we have to put our foundation, our, our basis, have to be right. Because love is not that we have the capacity to love God, but that God has loved us. So if we want a reference point in this crazy world, that's him. As John was saying earlier, he's the rock. We need to look at the rock that doesn't move. Because otherwise, we're just confused. And we live in a confused world. We live in a society with our young people are confused. And our grown-ups are scared to death. And they feel they don't have the power to change things. How, how did we get here? We got here because we started looking to other things that looking first the kingdom of God. That's why we are in the mess that we are. It repeats through history. You think we live in bad times? It wasn't better in the Roman times 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here. We live in a violent society. We live in a society of, you know, with, with, with sexual promiscuity was all over the place. They invented it. That's why Jesus came. He came in the very words of human history to say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. I am the son that he loves and the savior of the world. And some people don't like to hear this. 
They don't like to hear this radical statement in a postmodern world, but He is the way. If we want a way out, that's Jesus. I'm shouting too much and the baby's trying to get sleepy. God bless him. He's laughing. Hallelujah. That's a good thing. Laugh of your pastor. <laughs> there is joy in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray, shall we? I think I have said everything I have to say. We still got seven minutes. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for your love, and we thank you, Lord, for... Lord, we just want to come before you and, and, and humble ourselves before you and, and apologize, Lord, and recognize that we get it wrong so many times, that we still think that we can handle things. When you are asking us for that total um, surrender to you, Lord, because you are Lord. You are not only our Savior, you are our Lord. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, and I pray for this beautiful congregation. And I pray, Lord, for every, every local church in this area. I pray for the, for the church in capital letters, for the invisible church, for every Christian all over the world right now. Lord, I pray I pray, Lord, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit where we can really focus on you. Lord, it is actually when we lose our lives, when we surrender our lives to you, that we are really winning it back. The Bible says if you want to win your life, you have to lose it. And if you lose your life, you're going to win it. It's about dependency. It's about love. That relationship which is based on a covenant. Lord, we thank you that you are love and that true love is not that we have the ability of loving, but true love is that you have loved us, that you have shared with us your essence and that that essence becomes a seal of perfection in human lives. All the gifts, all the manifestations, without love, Lord, we are missing the point. Without love, they don't work. Love is that interface that makes everything making sense. Without love, nothing works. Our holiness doesn't work. Our righteousness doesn't work. Our rules don't work. When we want to exhort one another, without love, doesn't work. It is only when we operate in the power of your Holy Spirit and the Spirit is the Spirit of love. So, Lord, we thank you for faith. We thank you for hope. And we thank you for love. But the greatest of all is love. For God is love. Thank you that you love creation, Lord, even before it was spoiled. Thank you that you love the world after it was spoiled and you sent your Son. Thank you, Lord, that you, are, you love nations and you love people. And thank you that you are doing everything in your power to bring everything back to the original stage. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Help us, Lord, to remember this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you guys. Love you.